You guys, I am straight up giddy about this episode. I have found my guest today on Instagram. Her literal profession is to take discarded fabrics and turn them into beautiful pieces of clothing. I call her the Joanna Gaines of fashion because she takes the discarded scraps that everyone looks over and weaves them into a beautiful finished product. You guys know what I'm talking about if you have seen HGTV. <laughs> But not only is that her label and her profession, it is literally her life. From a sexually abused childhood, a broken marriage, turned to a successful businesswoman, and now in a healthy and wonderful relationship. She is truly a walking testament of making beauty from broken things. And I'll be honest, when I was listening to this episode for a second time and getting it ready for you guys, I was just overwhelmed by how inspiring her story is. Make sure you stay tuned till the end because she's actually offering a very generous offer to our listeners on her fashion line, like her amazing dresses and outfits. Get ready to be inspired by the one and only Tammy Joe Fashion. Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer. I was your typical heartbroken and hungover sorority girl who looked for love in boys, Bacardi, and did I mention boys? After the breakup that broke me, I met the only man who can truly fulfill me. His name is Jesus. Shortly after that, I met my husband, the best example I have met of Jesus on this earth. Today, I have never been more sure I am right where I'm supposed to be on a mission to help today's young women find their life calling, stop dating dirtbags, and basically just be who I needed when I was younger. I've been called a big sis, an adopted mom, or my favorite title, a cool aunt. But however you think of me, get ready to be challenged and encouraged. This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. So you repurpose fabric in making beautiful dresses, clothing, all kinds of stuff. And I just want to hear all about it. So I know you started in New York and now you're in Savannah. So talk Mm -hmm. us into like you first getting that sewing machine and how this kind of, how this kind of started. Well, um, I guess I would take it back just a little bit to when I was in high school um, in good old state college, Pennsylvania. I went to a very prestigious high school and like we did not grow up with much money. And uh, my parents would give me a very measly allowance of like, let's say $80 to go buy like a wardrobe for, you know, the fall semester. And I'm just like, um, that is not enough. Like I had this like huge desire to be fashionable, stylish, you know, it was my way of being seen and noticed. And, um, I couldn't afford anything that, you know, other kids were wearing like gap jeans or anything like that. So I took that money and I went to the thrift store and my mom actually was a professional seamstress. And so I would literally buy a whole garbage bag full of clothes with that $80 and come home and like dump it out in the living room and just like get to work be like, okay, mom, here's this top and we're going to make it look like this, you know, so that it looks like this shirt from the gap. And then we're going to take these old jeans and we're going to make them look like this. So it looks like that from American Eagle and like, I'm going to be cool. So that's kind of really how it started um, with just that notion of wanting to be seen basically. And then like fast forward, I I did think about going to fashion school when I was in my senior year of high school um, and it was between fashion and theater. And I think this is probably pretty 
on point with your podcast, but I chose theater because a boy I was dating. Oh, the was, boys. I know. He was in the theater program at Penn State and it just like, it felt like more of, you know, something that I kind of wanted to follow. But at the same time, I was following someone else. Yeah. Um, but it did lead me to, and I mean, that's kind of like how beautiful the story is and how like your purpose really w- is always trying to align with you because it did then take me to New York um, where I studied musical theater. And it was there where I was just so like just captured by fashion again. And I uh, got my first little apartment size sewing machine, which I created my first like five years of my label on actually. And just started like tinkering and being creative and making things like while I was going to school there. So that's kind of how that started. And then I guess fast forward a little bit more. I left New York City um, to move to Florida to follow another boy to get (laughs) married. (laughs) Uh, Yes. And again, it's a beautiful story because even though I was following boys this whole time, God was really using it for his plan and his purpose and like my my better good. My ex-husband was helpful, but also um, not in many ways. But he did encourage me to start my own fashion company when I quit my corporate job, probably like five years into our marriage. So, um, and he helped me launch that. So even though I was following things that, you know, weren't necessarily in like high alignment with myself or, or even really serving me, you know, God used them for their purpose. So beauty from ashes, even Mm -hmm. though our mistakes, he can make good (laughs) out of it. Well, you make these beautiful, I'm sure it's more than that, but I'm captured by the dresses that you make. I, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so Obviously, you have an eye for this and a talent for this, but I just am so impressed with this simple yet elegant, like you could wear it to the store and also Mm -hmm. to like in an event, you know, it's everyday comfortable fabrics and you're still using repurposed fabrics. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. I love that. Okay. So how do you, how do you get your fabrics? You mentioned gathering. How do you gather your fabrics now and kind of, you know, do this business? Is it all online or how are you doing your business now? Right now, it's all online. Um, I did open up a brick and mortar a few years ago in 2017. I had it for two years. And now I'm like more focused with online. And and, I mean, it just, again, like so organically happened timing wise. I closed my store like six months before the pandemic hit. So I'm so thankful I didn't sign another two-year lease because I would have been really stuck and struggling. And now I'm in Savannah and I would have still been in that lease. That's like another story I'm just like being obedient when you're not really wanting to do that. I didn't want to close my store, of course. It was such a wonderful place. But how I find my materials, I really have just always gone back to my main model. And it's just using repurposed materials. So a lot of them are really just found from the thrift store. But I mean, I thrift very intensely. So uh, all over the country. And I do find some places that are just fabrics now. Like, so there's this place in Pennsylvania, it's called Strawberry Fields. And this is what I I love most too about what I do, because it's very, it's like full circle of giving back into the community. So I'm I'm preventing clothing and textile waste, but I'm also contributing to um, this place that is actually a nonprofit for disabled 
uh, children and adults. So when I go there and I source fabrics from them, first of all, all the fabrics are donated and they're like scraps. And, you know, I'm lucky if I can get like three to five yards of a certain material. But I also love that too, because it keeps my designs, you know, one of a kind, which ties into, you know, my my customer, which is females and how we're all one of a kind and super unique. So um, that's really kind of where and why I source my materials the way that I do. I feel like you're the Joanna Gaines of fashion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. She's definitely one of like my expanders in life. Yes, so. because, you know, I, I, I like to think that I have that eye, but when we went house shopping when we first moved here to Chattanooga, I was like, I, I can't I can't see how this could be pretty. Like I just can't see it. Mm-hmm. But you know, you watch the show and Joanna's like looking in this barn and finds this ugly, dusty piece of wood and she's like, This will be a great mantle. And I'm like, What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's you at Goodwill, like with these hideous jeans and whatever. And you're like, oh, I, see, I have a vision. <laughs> yeah, very much. Very much so. I, um, I was reading. So now I'm here in Savannah and there's this amazing fashion school here and, or it's an art school and it's called SCAD. And I was kind of yeah. like doing some research and going to connect with them soon, but they had their last I guess senior group project where every, all the fashion designers um, create their their like final piece and they had them all interviewed because they couldn't do a fashion show. So they did this um, really nice, well put like short and one designer specifically kind of stuck out to me and she was like, "Uh, it's been really challenging, you know, designing during a pandemic because your resources are so limited. And to me, I was like, "Um, that's all I've ever worked with. extremely limited resources. So it kind of, you know, it made me feel like, oh, there's there's a lot more here that I can do and even educate on. Because honestly, like I started with just making my own patterns out of um, grocery store paper bags. Oh, and wow. I still do. <laughs> it's the same kind of paper as pattern paper. I mean, I, I do have a roll of pattern paper, which I'll use sometimes, but Honestly, like I still will just cut up a grocery bag and put my design on that and and just go with it. Like I really enjoy working with what I have and only what I have. I love that. Okay, so talk to us because a lot of young girls listening may not understand why that matters so much. Like, okay, cool, you repurpose clothes from Goodwill, but the clothing industry, largely speaking, isn't doing our world a lot of favors when it comes to, you know, how they source their materials and where it comes from, jobs, all that kind of stuff. So talk to us about the fashion industry and kind of how you're making a difference in that way, the way the way that you do things. Mm-hmm. So um, the fashion industry is, um, I would just go ahead and say it's extremely sick industry. Yeah. And it is basically, I believe ever since like the 80s, it's been on this mass manufacturing fast track. Lots of local companies or U.S.-based companies decided to move their factories overseas because labor was cheaper. And that just kind of escalated into mass uh, human 
abuse, really. And I'm pretty sure everyone is familiar with the um, Bangladesh factory collapsing. I was about to say that, yes, we have friends who are missionaries in Bangladesh Mm -hmm. and like knew some people who worked in those buildings. But yeah, go on about that. So basically, that's kind of something that really lifted the veil as to what is going on in other countries and what you are purchasing and the cost of it. There's a great documentary called The Cost, I believe, and it's it really kind of goes through everything. So if anyone is interested in learning more, I would definitely recommend. It's I still think it's on Netflix, um, but it's easy to find, or it's called The True Cost. So basically, garments that are, you know, Gap is a big perpetrator of this. So it's a limited H&M, Forever 21, all these big name stores. Basically, um, your garments that you're buying from there are made on slave labor. So they're made by children, women, even men, um, and they're paid maybe like a penny a day. The working conditions are astronomical, like they can't even go to the bathroom all day. So they're literally going to the bathroom on themselves at times because they're not allowed to leave their station. Um, There's no ventilation in these factories. Um, Of course, like super poor conditions to the point where, you know, a factory can collapse and kill hundreds of people. That was the Bangladesh um, incident that she was referring to. Yeah. So a poorly made building that was not up to code and you know, not updated, so many things wrong, it um, collapsed while hundreds of workers were doing their job, trying to earn an income to feed their family and just Oof. working and were killed. And it's horrible. And it hasn't really stopped either. There's been a lot of um, big brand companies that are pretending that they are doing this initiative, um, saying that they're recycling, saying that their factories are better. But when you ask for them to provide that information, they do not. It's definitely a sickness that is still going on. And really the only way to stop it is to be a consumer that says no to that kind of product that's made there. Where I tie in and why I love what I can do, because I'm real, I'm direct to consumer. Of course, the things that I make are more expensive, but it is because I can go to the bathroom when I want to, yeah. and I can work from my home. And I mean, stuff costs what it costs to make. You know, to make a tank top takes. It might even take like an hour, even a couple hours. You know, once you get into it, it takes a little bit less time. However, when you're buying like a tank top, let's say like five for ten. Who's getting paid and where yeah. is that money going? So uh, it just, you know, someone is getting robbed somewhere. And so I'm a big advocate on just bringing that situation to light and making the change where I can and educating on that system and how it's flawed and how it's broken and how it's ugly and it can easily be changed. And there's tons of there's tons of creative people out there and wonderful designers that can create this way and bring back a whole new beautiful era of fashion where less is more and quality over quantity and change the world that way. Yes, girl. Have you heard of Shane Claiborne? He wrote Irresistible Revolution. No, I haven't. Okay, girl, you would you would eat it up. It's an older book, but it is something I read I don't know, I would say like 10 years ago and completely changed my outlook on this whole entire subject because, you know, I would have told you buy it on sale, buy it cheap, buy it cute, whatever. And that was the end of my thought process about it. And, you know, he kind of pointed out as a Christian, when you are 
saying, you vote with your dollars. I say that all the time on this podcast. My marketing background, I guess, just kind of reiterated this into my brain, but you vote for what you want more of with your dollars. And I'm saying, yes, I want more $2 tank tops. Cool. That means, you know, am I supporting people with slave labor? Am I supporting people who have to use the bathroom on themselves? And this is a deep subject that we kind of have to think about. And my short way of solving this, <laughs> and I don't know, I'm curious what you think about this, because sometimes you can go overwhelmed and you can't pay, you know, $200 for every pair of mm-hmm. locally sourced, whatever, um, is to buy secondhand because mm-hmm. the damage has been done from the retailer right there. And you're also supporting um, a nonprofit or whatever it is when you're buying that secondhand Salvation Army or whatever it is. And that is how I like to not think too hard, not spend a ton of money Mm -hmm. and also kind of, you know, not support things that I don't agree with. Right. 100%. And I, I think that's a great philosophy to have when you're shopping and when you're wanting to create your wardrobe, because there's so many wonderful garments that are tossed after being worn just once and they're still so valuable and they're still so fashionable. And, you know, it's all about being unique and having your own style. You don't want that same thing that everyone else is wearing from Target. And like, I get it. It is so difficult to go into Target and not to buy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not perfect in this at all. Yeah. (laughs) Oh no, me neither. And, you know, I, I preach on it, but there's, you know, definitely sometimes that like, I'll go in there. I'm like, oh man, I really want that thing. But I, I really have to stay true to my belief system (laughs) and not. And then I'll usually end up going to a thrift store and finding something else just to, you know, satisfy that need. Yes. By all means go thrift shopping or shop locally. I mean, local, there's tons of like local vintage shops now popping up everywhere. There's tons of like really cool exchange stores. Um, I don't know. Oh yeah. Like, um, Poshmark and that what it's called. Yeah. There is one like that. And there's called like Buffalo exchange or Avalon exchange. And you can find a lot of these in college towns. So I, I love shopping there because at least I know that I'm not contributing to any more waste and I'm just reusing. But then, you know, save up your money and buy that one yeah. amazing thing. I have clients that are, you know, younger and in their like, you know, high school, college years. And they will come to me like when I do my uh, summer markets they'll wait and they'll like save their pennies and they'll come to me and they'll be like, I like been saving all year to get my Tammy Joe fashion dress for the year. And I mean, nothing means more to me than when I hear that when like, a young woman is like working hard and saving her money because she wants to buy that one garment that she knows means more and you're buying it direct from the designer. I mean, how cool is that? That doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're saving on, you know, the 60% of your wardrobe, 80%, whatever it is, and then mm-hmm. you're buying that one really nice piece, then it's it all make, works out anyways. Yes. I 
am just in love with how she takes just broken things and pulls them together and makes beautiful pieces of clothing. So check out her website, TammyJoFashion.com. And spoiler, she is going to offer you guys 25% off. Yes, 25% off, which is very generous when you use promo code SISTER. So check that out. I'm so grateful for this opportunity to share her amazing fabric with you guys or her amazing pieces of clothing. So check it out and tell her that Katie sent you. I love that. Okay. So kind of get a little deeper here because you have a beautiful story. And as we said, before we got on the call here, I never would have chosen this for you, but you walked through some hard things as a child, which kind of led you really to the beautiful part of it, meaning that you felt like discarded, you felt unworthy, you felt unloved. But now looking at these quote, discarded, unloved, unworthy fabrics and making them into something beautiful. It's really this incredible story all woven together, woven. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's part of God's plan. And I I'm, I'm, would love for you to unpack that for us um, and share how you, you know, how all that works together. Okay. Well, really kind of one of the reasons too that I wanted to come on this podcast is because I, I know you talk a lot about dating and um, especially in the early 20s and um, transitioning into womanhood. And I was, I really, I listened to something that you had posted or a podcast like a, a few weeks ago. And it just kind of dawned on me how foggy I was and how lost I was when I was that age. Yeah. And then it dawned on me why. And I really didn't even unpack this myself until in my mid 30s after I got divorced. So um, that's kind of when it all came out. And or when I started really speaking about it, because uh, I got a therapist. So yay for therapy. <laughs> therapy is great. <laughs> but I was sexually abused by my uncle when I was eight years old. Really, the main things that came from that were just total shame. It, it was an incident that happened in my life. My parents were there. We were at my grandmother's house. And it's just the whole way that the thing was handled, not just the act in of itself of completely stealing my innocence, which is totally a thing and, and something that is like very sad. Like I mourn for my little eight-year-old self mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. But I didn't have the army show up for me the way that I needed it to. I didn't have the support of the severity of what happened to me because of old family patterns of, you know, oh, well, you know, oh, that was a family member. So we're just going to keep it quiet, you know, or, oh, we're just going to keep you away from that person. And that's our way of protecting you rather than, you know, what I needed was, you know, full on like saverdom, if that's a word. You know, you need I, someone to protect you. And, I and did. children, I read somewhere that, you know, children are made to be protected. Like we, as parents, as grownups, as adults, we are as a society mm-hmm. to protect our children. And that, that's our number one role <laughs> to protect these babies. Mm-hmm. And, and you felt unprotected. So, yeah. Yeah. And so that, that was pretty heavy for me to unpack. I mean, I love my parents. I grew up in a super supportive, wonderful home. My parents are still married, but, you know, uh, that was also kind of like the the fantasy facade that was kind of draped over the reality of, you know, something that did happen that really triggered 
every relationship moving forward in my life and my own, you know, authenticity, my own voice, my own body, my own sexuality, like it just stunted the growth of like all of that. Um, So I feel like I never really was able to have even like nice romances in middle school. I, I didn't get to like really have those like first dates because everything was always underlined with this, you know, terrible act that happened to me and was never really dealt with. You know, I didn't go to therapy as a child. The way that my family dealt with it is just we just didn't talk about it. And everyone was just a lot kinder to me for a little while. So (laughs) that's really not, um, that's not therapy. For years, yeah, it just, it, it really messed with me. And it wasn't until I was in college and dating and every dating experience I had, you know, no matter how far I got into the relationship, there was always something that just like, you know, made me freeze. And I didn't even understand like fight, flight, freeze mode back then. You know, I I was never taught. I grew up in the 80s, 90s. So therapy and all of these other types of methods of healing and like mental health and sexual health was like never, ever a part of like my culture growing up. So I didn't even know that phrase until, you know, several, several years later. So yeah, I I would find myself in just like these dating situations and with boyfriends and it was just always like so uncomfortable, never felt myself. And I would also like dive in so deeply and like fall in love so quickly and like get my heart broken a lot. And like when my heart would break, it would break like, oh, like I literally felt like I would die. (laughs) That's how my heartbreaks were. And I never really saw like anyone else go through this much trauma. So I just kind of, I always just kept it to myself. I was like, oh, well, maybe I just love really hard or maybe there's this. I just kept on making excuses for myself as to, you know, why these relationships weren't really working out and weren't as fun or as beautiful as all these other ones I were seeing. You're also seeing the highlight reel. (laughs) I always like to point that out. And I'm sure that you were feeling big, but you know, it just seems a lot of people look at like, oh, they see the highlight reel on Instagram and they think their relationship is perfect. This was before Instagram days, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And we always compare our flawed relationships and think that we're wrong. But mm-hmm. anyway, sorry, that's my mentor heart. I had to say that part. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And yeah, so it just, it was always kind of lingering there. And then of course I got married really young because I did think like my parents were and still are like happily married and I grew up in a Christian home. So, you know, just getting married as early as you can and, you know, doing that whole thing right, doing things right was a very big thing in my family. It was very pressing for me. And I did want that. I did want the husband and the family and the kids, but Yeah, I got married too quickly before any of these issues were able to be resolved in like psychosis setting, like therapeutic setting. Um, And then it all just trickled into my marriage. And then um, my marriage became very toxic and codependent to the maximum level. And then, of course, that had no choice but to end. It wasn't until then that I found myself in therapy because I literally felt like the rug had been pulled out from underneath me. We were married for 14 years and he was my best friend and my business partner. And he left right when I opened 
uh, my first store. So I was like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're leaving me alone in, in, in all this? So that's when I got into like therapy because I was literally like, um, I, I, I can't see the yeah. nose in front of me. I can't even, I can't even breathe. Like, I don't know what's happening. And it was then when, you know, my therapist was like, we need to unpack some stuff. She's like, you're going to see that this isn't about him and it's all about you. And I was like, mm, no, I'm pretty sure it's really <laughs> about him. Like he's done a lot of wrong things. And no, surely enough, like one of the very first things we got to, and she did it through like um, a meditation. And yeah, was that very specific moment in time when I was eight years old and it was unpacking that moment of time. And like what I unpacked from that was this phrase – um, when I came out of my meditation, it was like, she's like, what was the one thing, you know, that came out of it? And I was like, I was like, this might sound weird, but it's, he didn't do anything. And oh, wow. she's like, who's he? And I was like, my dad. And it was like, and of course I started sobbing and I was like, oh my gosh, I really thought I was over this or I thought I could bypass it or I thought I didn't have to deal with it. But it was this whole like, you know, my inner child was like, you were never protected. And then it's a sad thing too that what happened between me and my father's relationship after that incident was he really, um, he was afraid, I think, you know, I think he knew deep down he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And he was afraid of everything that happened. And maybe his failure in every part of it, but um, he kind of withdrew he withdrew from me and our relationship. So we never had a close relationship after that happened oh, wow. either. So not only did I feel like unprotected, but I felt abandoned by someone who was still my dad and lived in my same house with me. So was this that, your dad's brother? It was my dad's stepbrother. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, it just, it, it was, it was incredible to me how, you know, yes, my marriage became toxic. Yes, my ex-husband did some terrible things. But also, like, I had a very specific role to play because, you know, I never, and sure, I wasn't taught to and I wasn't given the opportunity, but now I'm an adult and I needed to unpack my own story and figure out where I'm projecting this incident in my life into my relationships. So long story short, like it just really kind of dawned on me that, you know, I, I was brought up in a time where this stuff wasn't really talked about and uh, now it is. And now, and we're, it's so amazing. And I'm so thankful that like young girls and women have this, you know, shameless like freedom to be able to talk about these things that happen. And when it, when it happened to me in the 80s, like I remember my mom saying like, well, you know, it's kind of common. Like one in every three <gasps> girls, you know, it happens to. So you're not alone. And I was like, thank you. Okay, but that's not okay, mom. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I always knew too, it's interesting to me. I always knew even as a young girl, like after that happened, I had this thought reoccurring in my mind all the time that I was like, oh, I was glad it happened to me because I knew that I would heal from it and I knew that I would be able to help others with this incident that happened to me. 
granted, you know, why is an eight-year-old even thinking that? But maybe it was just like a window into my future. However, I feel like that time, you know, is now. And if there are like women, you know, young girls walking around out there that have this, you know, incident or anything like that that's happened to them and they haven't told anyone yet or, you know, maybe you're in a relationship right now and it's like you want to tell your partner but you're afraid to because there's there's so much shame. Even though it happened to you, there's so much shame around it. And like that's something I had to learn too, which again was another like crying session of mine. I was like, oh my gosh, how sad. Like this happened to like little Tammy and and then she was shamed for it. Yeah. So I know that, you know, my story isn't the only one out there. And I know that like in the 80s, it was one in three. Like how many are there now? And, you know, after the whole like Me Too movement and I still have friends that are like well into their 30s and 40s that have been sexually abused and have never talked about it or have never gone to therapy with it. And, you know, you you see that their marriages or their relationships are struggling. Yeah, I just – I. It was really put on my heart to open up and and talk about that aspect and um, with hopes and with the intention that if anyone who's listening has had something like that happen to them, to reach out to anyone, a friend or um, a counselor, heck, even myself, um, Mm. your partner. I found great healing in, in telling that story to my dating partners that I had after I was divorced. So it can be very healing. And of course, then you'll know like how solid your relationship is. So is it fair to say that you, you've probably fully dealt with it, fully unpacked it and fully become a healthy way to look at that after your divorce in the, in the recent years? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm so sorry. And so I'm curious, you know, you're not, like you said, I'm sure you're not the only one who has walked through this to your about to be married younger self who hasn't fully dealt with that. Uh, Cause I'm sure, you know, obviously there's a lot of things that are at play in a, in a failed relationship, but you know, what would you say to go back and kind of coach yourself to, to get right with that situation in your, in your first marriage? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Wow. I- I wish I could. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I hid so much behind a very confident and very loud demeanor. And I, I feel like I would have just really comforted myself more. I would have allowed that truth to be as delicate as it was. And I would have 1000% like, you know, made sure that I went to childhood regression therapy before I got married. Mm. And I would have made my partner do the same. Yeah. You know, I find that with anything, we we tend to, for whatever reason, to brush stuff under a rug and pretend like if we don't deal with it, it doesn't go away or that it will go away. But it doesn't. And it's such a... I was just talking to a family member about this recently, about something that they were frustrated about that happened 30 years ago. Mm. And if it's never dealt with... it. It doesn't. Go, it just doesn't go away, and there's no other way to to talk about that. So I think you know, 
were always a big proponent of of counseling and therapy, and as you said, bringing it to the light. Um, darkness loves to hide the gunk in our life, and if it stays in the darkness, it's just going to breed and grow and get more and more painful. But bringing it out out into the light and talking with someone is a game changer. Mm-hmm. I I read a quote the other day. It said, um, "If you don't deal with your childhood trauma, your relationships will." And I thought that was just like so powerful and so spot on because it's so true. And we all have childhood trauma, even if we think we grew up in the most beautiful, you know, magnetic home, if you will. But we all have those things and those secrets and those moments. I mean, everyone does. And it's so important to unpack them and bring them to light. I'm also reading this really good book called It Didn't Start With You, kind of to tie into patterns. So we are so conditioned by our parents and our parents by their grandparents to brush things under the rug. But, you know, we are entering into such a beautiful new time and a new age where we're we're just not doing that anymore. You know, our generation and our society is like screaming out like, no, we want to talk about these things because hiding them under the rug, one of these days that rug is going to be lifted and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that thing happened 30 years ago. I'm, I'm actually mad about it. And it, and of course that thing is going to, you know, it's going to like, it's going to weave its way into your life in one way or another. And if it doesn't come out in you, it can come out in your children. So if you're not dealing with the things that, in your childhood that have happened to you or that didn't happen and you're not just totally facing them and honoring them and possibly reprogramming them, they are going to resurface in your relationships, with your partners, um, with your children. And I just feel like now really the veil has been lifted on a lot of that type of terminology and, um, psychotherapy tools. We have so many tools now for therapy. You know, like 20 years ago, therapy was such a, you know, oh my gosh, you only do that if you're insane kind of thing. And now it's like a daily practice. (laughs) Absolutely. And I love that that is changing too. I am here to cheer on therapy. I've been to therapy a few times myself. And I think I actually have a friend who's a therapist and I always quote her because she says, everyone needs a little time on the therapist's couch. Because like you said, even if you have the most Mm beautiful childhood, you know, even I think about not necessarily family growing up, but some of those early relationships and dating were very, you know, hurtful and toxic and probably left some scars. And those are things you need to deal with as well. And there's just so many things that can be worked out. Absolutely. And better work them out in a counselor's office than in a failed relationship, you know, like you said. So 100%, because then you're only dragging your dirt into someone else's yard and then they're going to have to clean that up too. So then, you know, the guy that you're dating and you break up and you had this toxic relationship, he's going to have to clean up that mess at some point too, if he chooses. So yeah, it's really all about just diving in and cleaning up your stuff and um, so that you can be a more like whole and authentic partner for your significant other and like for yourself. It's really the, the only way to come into like your true authenticity, which I also would say like when you finally stand there and you are like resonating with your most pure authentic self, um, that's when you meet the man who is supposed to, you know, 
be your partner in life. And it's, it's easy. When it's easy, it's, it's you right. And yes. it's usually easy because you're so standing in your worth. And the only way you can stand in your worth is if you like dive in deep to the stuff that makes you feel unworthy. And it can be unfair stuff that happened to you when you were eight years old, or it can be, you know, just uh, absent parent, you know, even though they may have both been there for you growing up, maybe one of them was just emotionally absent. That all plays into how you are in your relationships in the future. You said a few things that I want to highlight because they were just too good to brush over. (laughs) And one of them was that you mourn for your eight-year-old self. And I think that that is just so like tender. (laughs) And as a mom of girls, like I, I mourn for your eight-year-old self too. And and that's, you know, kind of angers you and, you know, justice and all of that stuff that makes you want to scream. But then you also said a very mature thing, which is, but now I'm an adult and you get to choose your response. And although it is easy to be like, oh, you know, that happened to me and therefore this is just the way I am. Mm-hmm. You're choosing to be like, that happened to me, but I can choose my response. I can choose the healthy ways of dealing with that. And and I love that you, we basically kind of also said that the best gift you can give your future spouse is dealing with that baggage and, and unpacking that. And I just feel like you have taking the higher road. I know it wasn't the easy way and I know it was like the long way and stumbled through life like we all do, but I just so proud of how you've come this whole way. And kind of like we said at the beginning, this kind of parallels your life because this hurtful thing that happened to you, now you are also taking literal fabric, literal forgotten pieces, you know, literal just clothing. And I mean, I just want to cry about it. It's so beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. I cry sometimes actually when I make them, (laughs) when I have these like aha moments of, you know, when I'm, I'm designing and I'm in that mode and, you know, I feel like God speaks to me in a certain special way and he just kind of like lays his hands over me and he's like, you know, your, this is your healing practice. He's like, this is like what I'm doing to you and what I'm doing to the world. He's like, you're taking the things that are, you know, forgotten, lost, tossed aside, you know, completely abandoned and not cared for, not wanted anymore, and you are bringing them back home. And you're marrying them together, and you're creating something that is going to be loved by someone else. I just wrote that time down because that is what's going to go highlight on social media. That was beautiful. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yes. Yes. Okay. And so now fast forward, Mm -hmm. walk through some junk, walk through a marriage that didn't work out, walk through some abuse as a child, got healthy and tell me about your boo thing now. (laughs) Yeah. That again, like I, I, I said before, it just, since I was not in my wholeness and I had this wound that I was carrying the whole time, And one of the wounds that also kind of resurfaced from therapy, which my therapist helped me figure out, was that there's a belief in my family system that we allow abuse from loved ones. So having that like ingrained in my psychology growing up, of course, when I started to be, you know, verbally, emotionally, and physically abused by my husband, I tolerated it. Because it was just something that was taught to me as a child. 
that just kind of escalated and got worse and worse and worse. And of course, there is a beautiful story there as well with like my relationship with God, whom at the time I had turned way down. Because again, all I wanted to do was like follow this boy. I was like, he, you know, he was my tangible savior. And when he couldn't live up to that expectation, he had to go. And, um, of course there was this intense, like, you know, loneliness and that's kind of when God like swooped in and was like, hello. (laughs) He never could have filled your empty places anyways. (laughs) I know. It's so true. That God shaped hole. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I remember there was this one time when I was hanging dresses in my new store and my husband had already left me. And I remember crying. I I was calling a few friends to see if anyone could share in this joy. I was like, this is supposed to be the most joyful time of my life. I'm hanging my dresses in my brand new store on like gold rods and they have white hangers and it's like everything I dreamed of. But like at the time a dream was occurring, a nightmare was occurring at the same time. And I remember crying, like no one could come help me. And all I wanted to do is like drink some wine and hang my dresses. And no one was there. God often speaks to me through my tears. Sure, I'm not alone in that. But <laughs> bawling like a little girl, like, oh, I can't, why can't anybody be here with me? And God was, I think this was the first time he ever was kind of cross with me because he was like, can't you just be happy that it's just me and you? Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, wait, what? Let me turn the music down. I think I heard something. Yeah. <laughs> And he was like, can't you just let it be us? Wow. Like, why are you constantly following and wanting someone else when I've always been here? And he's like, oh, and by the way, that dude didn't help you get the store or create your label. I did. Yes. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was really one of the most pivotal moments in my life where I was like, okay, God, I get it. I'm going to turn you way up now. And, you know, I felt really ashamed for ignoring him for so long and trying to seek that comfort and that protection and that rescue from a human being yeah, and not from like source. So um, that was the beginning of a beautiful beautiful relationship with me and my savior. Yeah. He just kind of came swooping in God that is (laughs) into my life. You talked about having, and I love that you did this actually, talked about meeting your next boo thing in your boyfriend, but you talked about finding your fulfillment in Jesus. And I don't think you even meant to do that, but you, (laughs) that was perfect. (laughs) But now you're in a very healthy relationship and he actually helped us with tech issues before we got on this call. Yeah. It's kind of, there's a cute story behind it actually. So I also Airbnb'd out my house for the past like three years. And I had this one room in my house that was used as a storage room and it had its own bathroom and everything. And I just literally would put all my junk in there, all my junk that I did not want to go through from my past marriage, all the junk that I didn't want to go through from closing my store. Like it was just like where I hid everything more or less. And one morning, um, now this was about a year ago. So like I get this like little, 
you know, ping in the morning. I wake up and, you know, again, I'm going to say it's like God's voice. And he's like, you need to clean out that storage room and make it an Airbnb room. And I was like, um, that's a lot of work. (laughs) I mean, Katie, like just shelves and shelves of junk and junk and like all emotional stuff that I did not want to go through. But um, I'm pretty good at listening to those little downloads. So I was like, all right, fine. If you think I can do this, you're going to have to give me the strength. And sure enough, I get this like superhuman power strength for the next three days. I clean out this room. I put everything in bins. I organize it somewhere else. And um, it was really dingy and gross in there. So I decided to wallpaper one of the walls and I bought a bed off of Wayfair real fast. And within three days, I had this disgusting junk room ready to host for Airbnb. And it literally sat there vacant for like two weeks. And of course, you know, then I start my conversations and I was like, okay, God, um, you told me to do this thing and I did it. And like, I have no guests. Like, who's this guest? Like you, you said you were going to bring me guests. You've already brought me guests with this other room I had. And it's been so great. Like you told me to do this. Where is the guest? And I remember sitting at lunch one day with my girlfriend and I just was telling her one of these stories about like how God's really shown up in my life after and during this divorce. And I get this ping on my phone and was like, oh, you have a guest. And I was like, oh, go figure. God just wanted me to sing his praises before he (sighs) sent me a guest. And so I looked down at my phone and I looked at this profile and I was like, oh, (laughs) he's cute. That's. That's cool. I haven't had a cute one. (laughs) And uh, yeah, he checked in the very next day and um, we met like that very morning because he checked in late at night and I had just gotten back from like uh, my, I I paddleboard a lot. So I usually do like sunrise paddleboarding and I just gotten back from that and I was doing my meditation and he walks out of his room and he's like, hi, good morning. I'm Pat. I was like, hi, Tammy Jo. (sighs) And it was just like that. And he likes to say, too, that when he first saw me, he knew. Because he's like, I looked into your eyes and you were a whole person. Oh, my word. Mm -hmm. And the figurative and literal cleaning out the mess. Mm -hmm. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, there is definitely huge significance to cleaning out your junk. Yes. can come in. Oh my gosh. And what a gift to the future person in your life. To Like, what if you're like, oh, we'll make it work. Don't worry. We'll just push all this to the side and here's a cot. Uh, thanks. Mm-hmm. But instead, you know, exactly. literally doing the work and showing up that, oh, that is good stuff right there. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty great story. Wow. Oh my gosh. I didn't even know that part. Yeah. Thank you were sharing that. It, it's fun. It's really fun. Yeah, it, it's been amazing. It's like ever since day one, we like shared very long conversations and then we ended up going out dancing. And again, this is just my Airbnb guest and we meet up yeah. and go out dancing. And he like, I do these things where I like, I trust fall backwards. <laughs> it's part of my dance moves. <laughs> and I kept on yelling at him like, Patrick, come catch me, like catch me. Da-da-da. Literally, I must have trust fall into his arms like 25 times that night. And I remember getting home and thinking like, oh, that was fun. And then I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy like caught me every time. 
and I like look through my journals and of course, you know, I have a list of everything that I desired in my next partner. And one of them was like able to catch me when I fall. Oh my word. And I was like, holy crap. It couldn't be more clear. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, we were basically immediate best friends. Wow. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. (laughs) You are... Literally, and I'll say it again, like literally making beauty from discarded materials. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I honestly, Kitty, it like really just made sense to me like probably a few months ago, maybe a year ago. I was like, oh, wait, that's what I'm doing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah, it didn't even really click for me for a while. I was all just been like a healing process. Well, you have graciously offered our listeners a discount code on your dresses. So I want everyone to go check that out. Is it just TammyJoFashion.com? It is. And so TammyJoFashion.com, she's offers, offering 25%, which is very gracious, 25% if you use promo code SISTER. So it's hard for me to even explain how incredible these dresses are. So you're just going to have to go see it for yourself, TammyJoFashion.com, and use promo code SISTER. So thank you for offering our, our listeners that. Yes, of course. I'm so happy to. All right. So tell everyone where we can find you on social media and all of that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, I made it really easy for everyone. It's basically just Tammy Joe fashion across the board. And that's Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y, Joe, J-O fashion. So yeah, that's my Instagram handle. And I'm actually starting a YouTube channel as well. And um, hopefully my own podcast actually in the next couple months. Yay. Totally. (laughs) You should do it. I usually close by asking, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? But you've kind of unpacked that. Is there anything else that you want to say? Um, oh, I would say forgive yourself and enjoy yeah. life. <laughs> yes. And oh, don't grow word. up so fast. It's great to start adulting, but like any opportunity you get, take it. What I would have rather have done in my 20s that I ended up doing after I got divorced was I dated myself Mm. and I let God take me out on dates. So I would always have Friday night be date night and I would be like, okay, God, what are we doing tonight? And like something would always arise, like something, you know, cute would happen or sometimes it would just be me taking a bubble bath and reading a book and like going to bed early and feeling so good about that, like taking care of myself. So I think I would suggest like dating yourself more and like knowing how you like to date you. And that way you're going to know, like when you do start to welcome in someone else to take you out on a date, you're going to, you're going to know what you like. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And so many women don't even know what they like because they're bouncing from one relationship to another. So yeah, I, I remember, you know, just to like close it up a bit, I, I remember my therapist asking me once, she's like, what do you do that you do for you? How do you like to take care of yourself? Make a list. And I literally couldn't even make the list. I had nothing that I went to to take care of myself because I was so immersed in my relationship and taking care of the other person and taking care of us. I completely forgot about myself. So it's extremely important to like solidify those things now. So good. So good. Well, Tammy Joe, thank you for being here. Thank you for offering that promo code. And your story is good stuff, girl. You should write a book. 
<laughs> I, I think I am. I have lots of stuff written. I just probably have to put it together. <laughs> that's, that's half the battle. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I'm just so excited for everyone to hear this episode. Thank you so much. I loved talking to you. And um, yeah, I'm so happy to share. Everything I do started with having coffee dates with my younger friends. And this podcast I like to imagine is just that, you and I having a coffee date. And if it went by too quickly for anyone else besides just me, there are plenty more episodes to check out in the archive. So just scroll up, find a topic that suits your fancy, and give it a listen. If an episode made a difference in your life, take a screenshot, share it on social, give me a tag at Katie Vollmer Life so I can give you a big virtual hug. And leaving those reviews on iTunes is a chai tea latte to my soul to see your reviews. And thank you so much for each of you who keep coming back week after week and getting some truths for your 20s.